Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. All right, well, if you've got a Bible, turn with me once again to Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're going to get real good at finding this chapter of the Bible by the time this series is over. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Um, If you are new to our church, once again, welcome. So glad you're here. Just to catch you up a little bit on what we're doing, uh, we are in the middle of a series of teachings where we've been walking our way sort of one by one through the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. We've also been using this series to talk about the idea of morality in general, how we think about ideas of right and wrong as human beings. And we mentioned way back in week one of the series that all of us, whether we follow Jesus or not, uh, all of us believe in morality. The, The only difference from person to person is where we choose to derive our definition of morality from. And we've been making the case that at least for followers of Jesus, for God's people, uh, this ancient list of Ten Commandments found in both Deuteronomy and the book of Exodus is actually a pretty good place, perhaps a surprisingly good place for us to start when it comes to determining our definitions of morality at a functional level. But at the same time, we said that that doesn't mean that we will necessarily like all of these commandments as we read them, the whole ten in the list. Which brings us to today's command, the instruction to, quote, honor your father and mother. So this command is probably one that a lot of us have the hardest time with. Several of the others on the list, I think, sound fairly reasonable to us. But this one, I think a lot of people tend to throw a flag on right away. So we hear honor your father and mother in the Bible, and we immediately feel the need to retort with things like, well, well what if my father and or mother weren't deserving of honor? What, what if my father and or mother left? What if they dipped out on me and my siblings? What if my father and or mother was selfish or, or sinful in really obvious ways? What if they were abusive? Surely we think God cannot mean that we are always to honor our father and mother, no matter what the scenario is. So this commandment, at least to most of us, probably feels like it needs a handful of caveats and exceptions to the rule. But I think at least some of our objection to it, some of our pushback, might have to do with us not fully understanding and comprehending what it is calling us to do and what it is not calling us to do. What does the Bible actually mean when it says that we should honor our father and mother? That's at least one thing that I think we need to unpack this morning. So that's how we're going to tackle it so that we can better understand what it looks like to interpret and apply this command into our lives. So just as a disclaimer before we dive into all of that, this morning I am going to speak almost entirely to adults, so people in the room that are 18 and older, about how to relate to and honor their 
parents. And I'm approaching it that way partly because that is at least the primary context that the Ten Commandments have in mind. So the Ten Commandments were written largely to adults in the nation of Israel. I mean, just think about it for a second. Doesn't make much sense to tell young children to not commit adultery or to not covet their neighbor's fields. Those would be very odd commands to children, right? But I'm also teaching it this way practically and pastorally because I think that's the scenario that at least the vast majority of us in the room are in. We are adults trying to figure out what it looks like and how we interact with and relate to our parents. So I'm not going to talk very much about how young children should relate to their parents, even though some of what I'm going to say for sure will apply to those people. But primarily, I'm going to talk about how adults relate to their parents. We'll have to save all the other stuff for a future teaching. That sound good? That's where we're going this morning. So what does it mean for us in that stage of life as adults ourselves to honor our parents? I think it might help for us to start by talking about what honoring your parents isn't. What does the Bible not mean when it tells us to honor our parents? So let me give you two things here that I think might be helpful to sort of clear the weeds out of the way. First, honoring your parents isn't obeying everything that they say. It's not obeying everything they say. Honoring your parents does not mean that you must, as an adult, in every scenario that you're in, do everything that your parents tell you to do. It especially doesn't mean that when your parents' counsel runs contrary to the teaching of the Scriptures. For followers of Jesus, God is our ultimate authority. Parents are secondary, delegated authority. So if what our parents ask us to do violates what God tells us to do, we always go with what God says, every time. If your parents tell you, for instance, that you should steal, you should not in fact steal. If your parents tell you to degrade or despise other image bearers of God, you should not in fact do those things. And inversely, if our parents tell us not to do something that the scriptures do command us to do, once again, we go with what God says, not with what our parents say. So there's actually a story in the book of Acts in the Bible that I think perfectly models what our posture should be when a secondary authority contradicts our primary authority. In Acts chapter 5, just for context, some of the disciples have been put in jail for preaching and teaching about the way of Jesus. But one night while they are in jail, the Holy Spirit busts them out of jail and tells them to go keep telling people about Jesus. Then this happens, we'll put it on the screen, from Acts chapter 5. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. That's sort of a secondary delegated authority in their day. We gave you strict orders, the high priest says, not to teach in this name, meaning the name of Jesus. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles replied, and notice this language here. This is the part that I think is really important. We must obey God rather than human beings. So I take that to mean that for followers of Jesus, obedience to God always takes precedent, always takes priority over obedience to human beings. Obedience to human beings may be important in certain spheres, but it's never to take priority over obedience to God. If at any point your parents ask you to do something God forbids or forbid you from doing something God commands, you go with what God says every single time. 
So, so there are times and there are situations and circumstances where you are actually called not to obey your parents. And that doesn't mean that you aren't honoring your parents. It means you are choosing in those moments to honor God, which takes priority. So if at any point your parents were to use verses like this one in Deuteronomy chapter 5 to insist that you as their son or daughter do things that are sinful or try to prevent you from doing things that are good for you to do, it is entirely acceptable to say to your parents in those moments, mom, dad, I must obey God instead of you. And I sure do wish you weren't making me choose between those two things, but if you're going to make me choose between those two things, I'm going to go with what God says every single time. Honoring your parents does not necessarily mean obeying everything that they say to do or not do. Second thing that honoring your parents does not mean. Honoring your parents isn't ignoring or minimizing their faults. Ignoring or minimizing their faults. I think this one is especially important for anyone in the room who had deeply flawed parents. Honoring your mom and or your dad does not require that you look at them through rose-colored glasses. It doesn't mean that you turn a blind eye to obvious shortcomings or sinful patterns and tendencies in their life. It absolutely doesn't mean that you ignore abusive behavior in their life. We are not called to operate that way with anybody as followers of Jesus, and our parents are no exception to that. For those of you that had abusive parents in the room, nowhere in the scriptures are we called to pretend that that type of behavior by our parents is okay. Nowhere are we called to operate as if that is normal or acceptable or to not seek outside help in those situations. Honoring your parents also doesn't mean keeping them from experiencing natural consequences of their actions. It doesn't mean keeping them from experiencing natural consequences of their actions. So for parents with a pattern of abuse towards you, one such consequence of their actions may be relational. They may have proven themselves incapable of a normal, ongoing relationship with you because of their behavior, at least until there is a demonstrated long-term pattern of repentance and change in their life. A parent's sinful choices might also create legal consequences for them or financial consequences or any number of other things in their life. And in those scenarios, honoring that parent does not mean you have to remove those consequences for the parent. So, so just as an example of this, let's say that a parent got themselves into tens of thousands of dollars of consumer debt just by purchasing a bunch of stuff they didn't need. In that situation, it is not your responsibility as their son or daughter to pay off their debt. It's not your responsibility to get them out of debt. And your parent doesn't get to tell you that you should do that just because they are your parent. And you don't need to feel guilty because you won't or can't do that. Because what they are experiencing in that circumstance is just the natural consequence of their actions. Now, in a situation like that, you may want to consider what they would do for you or have done for you if the situation was reversed, right? You should, that should probably at least be factored into your decision, but it's still your decision. It's not a question of honoring or not honoring your parents because honoring them does not require that. Does that make sense? You with me on that? Okay, 
So I think it's helpful to first make sure we aren't misunderstanding what it means to honor our parents so that we can then understand what it does mean. So with those things clarified, I want us to pivot now and talk about what honoring your parents is. What does it look like to bestow honor on your parents? So I've just got one thing for you here pulled directly from the passage itself. Honoring your parents is giving weight to their role in your life. That's what it means, to give weight to their role in your life. So in Deuteronomy 5, verse 16, when it says, honor your father and mother, that word honor there is the Hebrew word that describes something being heavy or weighty or burdensome in some way. When it's used as a verb, like it is here in verse 16, it actually means to ascribe weight or importance to something or someone. It means to view something or someone as the burden and the weight that it truly is in our interactions with it. So I'm going to say something that we don't often say out loud in our culture, something that might make some of us feel uncomfortable to hear said out loud. You ready for it? Being a parent is a burden. It's a heavy weight to carry. This is a safe place for me to say that. Got real quiet when I said it. Everybody okay? So let me be very clear on what I don't mean. Uh, I don't mean that parenting is only a burden. I I don't mean that it's not a joy and a privilege and a beautiful God-given task to participate in. I also don't mean that we should only ever think about it as a burden. If we do, I think that's a sign that something's off and we need to rethink how we think about parenting. And, and I certainly don't mean that we should make sure our kids know every chance we get how much of a burden they are to us. That would be a terrible thing to do. We should not in any circumstance interact with them that way. But I do mean that for all the other incredible things that parenting is, it is also a burden. If you don't sometimes think it's a burden and you're a parent, I've got to wonder if you just have somebody else watching your kids all the time. Because it is. The amount of diapers I have changed in my life as a parent, the amount of times I have gagged and almost thrown up everywhere because of the smell of those diapers, the amount of times that I literally used my own breath to suck snot out of my kid's nose through one of those snot-sucker devices, if you're not a parent, uh, that's coming for you. Just know if you choose to be a parent, there is a device that does that. It is, you have to like have an incredible level of cognitive dissonance to convince yourself that snot's about to, not about to go in your mouth. It's awful. It's horrible. The number of times I've done that The number of times I've stepped on a Lego in the middle of the night, which is somehow the worst type of pain that there is, like torture. The amount of nights that I didn't and still don't sleep as a parent. The amount of midnight trips to the hospital because one of my kids had a 104 degree fever and I was nearly certain they were gonna die if I didn't rush them to the ER. The amount of work days I have missed and then had to work long days to make up because a kid got sick and couldn't go to daycare. The amount of colds and stomach bugs and flus I have caught from my kids. The significant amount of money that is not in my bank account and will never come back to my bank account because it went to things that my kids needed or wanted. 
the existential crisis that you experience as a parent where there are moments where you cannot think about anything other than if your kids are safe and if they're gonna turn out okay. And I could go on with examples of what I mean, but the reality is that parenting is often a burden. It is a heavy weight to carry. And here's the thing, in at least most cases, even the most imperfect of parents did a lot of those things for you. Your parents probably stayed up with you more nights than you'll ever know. They probably did more things for you than you will ever know. They probably made more career decisions based on you and what you needed than you will ever know. And I understand that that's probably not true of every single parent. And I understand that probably some of you, your parents made you aware of all the sacrifices they were making in really unhelpful ways. I get that. And still, I'm saying that in most cases, your parents probably carried more of a burden than you realize that they did. In most cases, your parents probably currently carry more of a burden than you realize they do. Uh, maybe I'll put it like this. From the time I was a kid, probably until at least high school, maybe into college as well, I don't think that I ever considered that my parents had any life at all outside of being a parent to me and my brother. Like, like, I functionally believed that their entire existence was summed up in being our parents. Like, intellectually, I understood that they had a job that they had to go to and make money. But even then, from my vantage point, I think I mostly just thought they had a job so that they could have money to buy me things that I wanted. Mostly, in my brain, their entire personhood existed, consisted in them being able to help me whenever I needed help. And them being available to me whenever I needed them available to me. And them buying me whatever I happened to need bought in the moment. In my mind, everything about my mom and dad's existence was summed up in their status as my parents. That's who they were. They were my parents. The rest of their life didn't matter to me. I don't think it ever crossed my mind that one of my parents could have a bad day. I don't think it ever crossed my mind that my parents needed friends of their own outside of just being friends with all of my friends' parents. I don't think it ever crossed my mind that my parents might have hopes and dreams of their own that didn't have something to do directly with me being successful and happy and fed. And because those things never crossed my mind about my parents, it certainly never crossed my mind that my parents would be setting any of those things aside, putting them on hold, sacrificing those things to do what was best for me. I think I just functionally thought, they're my parents, of course they're gonna do what's best for me. Of course they're gonna do whatever I need them to do whenever I need them to do it. And even if your parents did not always do that, even if they did it irregularly and imperfectly, most of your parents did do that. That is part of the weight of parenthood. You sacrifice and put a whole lot of things on hold in your life for someone that will probably never know how often you did that. 
So let me try to explain this to you visually. This is a picture of my parents circa 1987, the year I was born. Check out that sweatshirt. I don't know what that is, but I need that, right? Like those are, those are back in now, I think, in some way. These are my parents in 1987. This is another photo of my parents taken this year. They look pretty different in those two pictures, yeah? So here's the question that I've been asking as I've been putting together this teaching on honoring your parents. And every time that I've thought about it for very long, I have started tearing up. So this morning will probably be no different, just as a fair warning. The question I have is how many of those gray hairs are there because of me? How much of that hair is gone because of me? How many of those wrinkles are there because of me? How much stress did my parents carry in their body directly or indirectly because of me? I was not an easy kid. I didn't respect people well. I certainly didn't respect my parents or their rules well. In high school, I cared way more about a good time and being cool and being accepted by others than I did about making good decisions. And undoubtedly, a lot of those bad decisions had a substantial impact on my parents. Undoubtedly, some of them had more of an impact than I know even to this day. And especially now that I am a parent myself, and I look at photos like that, I'm realizing when you become a parent, you sign up to give some of the best years of your life away to your kids. And you do it because you love your kids. And so please understand, I don't say any of this to make anybody in this room feel guilty. I'm not trying to heap shame on you for anything, any decision that you made. I'm just trying to help you see that there is a tremendous weight to being a parent. So in light of that, here's the request that the scriptures make to us when it comes to how we think about, how we interact with our parents. It's pretty simple and honestly pretty logical if you think about it for very long. The request that the scriptures make of us is that we recognize that weight that your parent or your parents carried. Acknowledge, realize that your parents took up the mantle of that weight of parenthood for years of their lives. No doubt, many of them did that better than others, and many of them did it very, very imperfectly, but still, they did do it. And so in light of that, the scriptures say, would it not be fitting for us to take notice of the ways that our parents put our needs and our wants ahead of their own? Would it not be fitting to interact with our parents when possible as a person who carried that weight for our benefit? Would it not be fitting to recognize the amount of sacrifice and selflessness, the, the amount of time and effort and energy and money and resources that they put in for you to be where you are today? I think that is a big part of what it means for us to honor our parents. 
And, and please, again, none of that means that you cannot ever be frustrated with your parents. None of that means that you can't ever want your parents to grow and mature and own up to some of the unhelpful things that they did and still do. None of that means you can't be honest about the ways that your parents' tendencies and, and sins impacted you in negative ways. I'm saying you should feel complete freedom to do any and all of that. And at the same time, don't let any of that convince you that they did not carry a substantial amount of weight as your parent. They may have carried it imperfectly and inconsistently, and maybe you wish they would have carried it differently, sure. But they still carried it. And they carried a lot of it for you, for your benefit. So here's what I thought might be helpful with the rest of our time this morning. I wanted to just offer you what I think are a few practical ways we see in the scriptures that we can honor our parents. Other than just realizing and understanding the weight that they carry, what are some things that you and I can do that practically confer honor upon our parents' role and place in our life? I got three practicals for you. First, you can ask them for advice. Ask them for advice. Proverbs 4 verse 1 says this, Hear, O sons, a father instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. So one way to honor your parents would be to ask them for advice. Uh, if you have kids of your own, ask your parents for advice on being a parent and raising kids. If you don't have kids, just ask them for life advice, advice on how to be an adult. For some of us in the room, we've never had a full-time job until fairly recently. Do you know who probably has had a full-time job before? Your parent. For some of us in the room, we've never had to buy a house before. That's an overwhelming process. You know who probably has bought a house before? Your parent. For some of us in the room, we've never had to figure out how to navigate sleepless nights with a newborn. Do you know who probably has had to figure that out? Your parents. Some of us have never had to parent a teenager before, which is the most overwhelming thing of all. Do you know who probably has parented a teenager before? Your parent. And, and I could go on with examples, but here's my point. A lot of the things that you are currently trying to figure out how to do, your parents have already done, which means there's a decent chance that they could help with at least some of what you're trying to figure out. Now, you obviously need to gauge and throttle that according to what you know about your parents, right? So if, if your parent was fired from their full-time job every six months throughout your childhood, maybe that's not the thing you ask them for advice on right? If your parents bought a house that was approximately three times too expensive for their budget, maybe your house budget is not the thing you ask them for advice on. Feel free to practice discernment in what you ask your parents for advice about. If your parents are not followers of Jesus and you are, definitely run their advice through the filter of the Bible and what it teaches about how to navigate life. And the wonderful thing about asking for advice is that at the end of the day, it is just that, advice. You can take it or leave it. 
So feel free to use your own wisdom and your own discernment and, and help from other people in the scriptures to decide what to follow and what to not follow when it comes to your parents' advice. And at the end of the day, I realize that some of us in the room unfortunately had parents who have made an absolute mess of their lives in most areas. So truth be told, they may not be the best person to ask for advice. But I'll say this, for at least the majority of us in the room right now, for those of us that just had normal, imperfect parents, if we don't think it is at least worth asking those parents for advice occasionally, that probably says more about us than it says about our parents. It probably reveals that we've got a bit of a proud streak in us, maybe. Probably reveals that, that our frustration with certain things about our parents has gotten the best of us that those things are clouding our judgment and prompting us to believe that our parents have nothing to offer us when in fact they very well might. So I'm gonna tell you something that goes against just about everything our society currently teaches us in America. You ready? You do not have to figure out everything on your own. You do not have to figure out everything for yourself. You do not have to chart your own course. You do not have to rely on only your own wisdom, your own experience, your own decision-making to get through life. There are generations upon generations upon generations of people with a wealth of wisdom and advice to offer you. Some of those people are in your family. Your parents, your grandparents, your aunts and uncles, your older siblings, whatever it is. And even if there's nobody like that in your family, there are currently older people in our church family who would love to step in and fill in that gap for you. And if you think that those people somehow have less to offer you because they're older or because they don't know what life is like in the modern world or some other kind of nonsense like that, that sure does sound a lot to me like arrogance. In modern Western society, we tend to idolize youth, innocence, and beauty, which means inversely that we tend to devalue age, wisdom, and gray hair. And as deeply ingrained as that is in our psyche as Americans, I think we've got to realize that that mindset is precisely backwards from the Bible's perspective. Proverbs 16 says that gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Somebody over 50 shout amen real quick. And one substantial way to honor your parents is to realize that most of them have a significant amount of advice and practical wisdom to offer you. And you and I would probably be better off if we asked them for it every once in a while. Second way to honor your parents would be to help them when they're in need. Help them when they're in need. So a couple weeks ago, when we were in Mark chapter 7, we highlighted that to Jesus, apparently, part of honoring your parents as they get older and you get older is by financially providing for them when they're in need, especially when your parents get to the years where they are less and less able to do that for themselves. In fact, in Mark chapter 7, if you go read the passage, Jesus seems to just assume that doing that is included in the command to God's people to honor their father and mother. So for at least the bulk of us in the room, our parents are in better health right now than they ever will be again. Which means that with every day that goes by, our parents are going to be a little bit less able to do things for themselves than they were the day before. 
And according to the scriptures, part of honoring your parents looks like us sacrificing money, time, and effort to help when that happens. Now, I get that a lot of that will look different depending on different circumstances. So it, it varies based on your parents' ages and living situations and needs and health and how far they live from you. Obviously, if you live here in Knoxville and your parents live in California, you caring for them as they age is going to look a little bit different than if they just lived up the road from you here in Knoxville. But the point is that when possible and within reason, this is part of what it means to honor your parents as they age. So this is a little bit of a different story because it's about a grandparent and not a parent, but I think it illustrates the point. So a few months ago, my grandmother, who lived here in Knoxville, passed away at 90 years old. I was actually talking to my dad and realized that today's her birthday, so she'd be 91 today. A few months ago, she passed away. We called her Nana. And in Nana's final weeks and months, there were quite a few times where she was just getting weaker and weaker. She couldn't stand up on her own, and so she would fall at her house, and she would need help. And so each time, I would drop what I was doing. I would drive the five minutes up the road to her house, and I would help her get up and sit her in her chair. And every single time after I would do that, sometimes as I was doing that, my Nana would look at me, and she'd say, oh, I just hate that you're having to bother yourself for me so much. And every single time as she would say that, I would look back at Nana and I would say, Nana, you spent years of your life bothering yourself for me. Now it's my turn. And if I had to guess, there will come a day where a lot of that will be true for many of us in our relationship with our parents. They spent a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of money bothering themselves for us and one day it will come our turn to do that for them. There will come a day when our parents, even parents who have saved and lived well and prepared for their future well, will need us to do things for them that they can no longer do for themselves. And on that day, in whatever ways we can, as their children, we should honor them in that way. That's the Bible's teaching. I think biblically in that situation, we are called to do what we can within reason to make sure that they have what they need, or at least to make sure that someone is making sure they have what they need. That's part of honoring our parents. Finally, third thing for you, and then we'll be done. I think we can honor our parents by heeding this last suggestion, which is don't blame them for things that aren't their fault. This one admittedly is the hardest one to wrestle with. Don't blame them for things that aren't their fault. Some things in your life right now very well could be your parents' fault. That's very possible. There, there may be a conversation between you and your dad that you still replay in your head over and over again as an adult that has profound implications on how you think about your identity. There may be something you overheard your mom say that about you or about somebody else that weighs on you heavily to this day. That there may be a sinful decision or a sinful series of decisions that one of your parents made that you still experience active resentment and anger and bitterness about. Some things in your life and some things that you deal with in your life could very well be your parents' fault. And nothing I'm about to say is intended to nullify any of that or dismiss any of that. But at the same time, I've got to say 
that I have noticed it has become very popular, specifically with my generation and younger, I would say, to blame most things in our life on our family of origin, on the family we grew up in. And while some of that might be fair, I've got to wonder too if Satan sometimes takes that tendency in us and just runs with it. One of Satan's primary objectives, according to the scriptures, is to, quote, seek someone to devour. And I've got to wonder if he does that a lot of the time by getting us to blame everything in our life on our parents in such a way that we don't end up taking any responsibility for ourselves. I think we have got to beware of a worldview where our parents are always responsible for the broken parts of us and we are never responsible for any of it. I would argue that's a very precarious, very dangerous worldview to operate out of as a follower of Jesus. We have a young church. Again, if you're over 50, you agree. You've looked around and you've noticed that. A lot of young people in our church, college students, young professionals, young families, and sometimes I will overhear young people in our church talking about their parents in what I would consider to be very dishonoring ways. I'll hear them complain about something that their parent did, something their parents didn't do, and I'll hear them say things like, I just can't believe how selfish my mom is being. I just can't believe how self-centered my dad is. And, and again, sometimes that is an accurate description of your parents' behavior. But sometimes, as I've had conversations with people after they say things like that, sometimes I find that what they mean by my mom is being really selfish is actually just something more like my mom did something that didn't exclusively and optimally benefit me. What they really mean by my dad is self-centered is my dad made a decision recently that made life mildly inconvenient for me. And all I can think about in those moments is how effective Satan sometimes is at deception. How clever it would be if Satan could convince us that our parents are always the selfish ones while simultaneously convincing us that our own selfishness is not a problem at all. As best you can, don't blame your parents for things that are not their fault. Don't, don't label something as sin or selfishness in them when that's actually not an apt description of what happened. When what you actually mean is that was frustrating to me personally. To take up that type of dismissive posture towards your parents, that self-centered view towards your parents, I would argue is dishonoring to them. And again, none of that is meant to say that you can't call your parents sin, sin. In fact, I think you should if you're a follower of Jesus. But it is to say, let's not call things that aren't sin, sin, just because they frustrate us. So a good friend of mine grew up in a pretty terrible home environment her entire childhood. Single parent home, her mom was verbally and physically abusive to her and her siblings. She allowed people into their home who abused them as well. 
And what's really, really interesting to me is if you talk to my friend today, now that she's an adult, about her childhood, she will tell you very honestly what her childhood was like. If you ask her what her mom was like, she'll tell you exactly what her mom was like. Not the sugar-coated version, not the rose-colored glasses version, the real honest version of what her mom was like. She goes to counseling regularly where she talks in detail with a counselor about some of the things that she experienced growing up and the impact that those things have had and are still having on her life. But here's what I've noticed about this friend of mine. At the same time, She does not believe that every broken thing in her life is there because of her mom. Some of those things are there because of her mom, to be sure. It would be impossible not to be impacted by some of that. But also some of them aren't. My friend still thinks that there are sinful aspects of her heart that are her own responsibility to own and repent of. Things that probably would still be there in her life even if she grew up in a great home environment. And I bring that up as difficult as that story is to hear because I think in that situation, my friend's balanced approach to her life and her own heart is actually a way to honor her mom by by being truthful about her mom, but also by taking ownership of her own heart and mind and life and habits when she can and not choosing to blame anything and everything she can on her mom's actions. And she does that in a way that she prays makes her a different kind of mom as a result of all of that. And in that situation, she is honoring her mom, not because her mom earned that honor and not because her mom was always or even often honorable. She's honoring her mom because that's what God calls his people to do even when they aren't necessarily deserving of it. So we're just gonna land the plane here for this morning. The question that I think a lot of us are asking in response to a teaching like this boils down to something like this. How do I honor my parents, even and especially when they are not deserving of honor? How do I honor them when they're not deserving of honor? I think for all of us, those in the room with normal, imperfect parents all the way down the line to those of us with horrible parents, that's the question that we have. How do we give our parents what they don't necessarily deserve to receive? And just to state what should be obvious to those of us that follow Jesus, that is a question that the gospel answers directly. The answer to how we give someone something that they do not deserve is by understanding and reminding ourselves of what Jesus did for us. The gospel demonstrates for us vividly the beauty of giving someone something that they do not deserve. But in the gospel, we actually find out that we are the ones who did not deserve what we received. In the cross of Jesus, we learn that someone doesn't have to be easily lovable for them to be loved. A person doesn't have to be compassionate to be shown compassion. A person doesn't have to be good to be treated with goodness. And in fact, we find out in the gospel that some of the most beautiful things tend to happen when a person receives those things regardless of how ill-deserving they are of it. Sometimes that act alone will transform the recipient from the inside out. And if you understand that that is how the gospel works, 
you are well on your way to gaining the ability to honor your parents, no matter how honorable or dishonorable they are. So all of this is why every single Sunday, as followers of Jesus, we go to the tables and we take communion. At those tables, we come face to face with just how ill-deserving we are of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We come face to face with just how ill-deserving we were of Jesus' body and blood, and simultaneously we come face to face with how willingly and freely he offered those things up for us. And as we take of the bread and the cup at the tables, we ask that God, by his spirit, would help us to treat even the dishonorable with honor, the unlovable with love, just as he has done for us. And as we do that, we ask him to accomplish incredible things through it by his spirit. So let's pray as we respond.